Wow, it's been a while since I heard that song. Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, we're discussing SST-181, the Sonic Youth LP, Sonic Death, Sonic Youth Live. We, uh, we took the whole summer off. I can't believe it. I can't, I'm not even sure I know how to do this, this Mojack thing again. I don't feel any more rested after taking the summer off. I hardly got anything done. How about you, Brent? Well, yeah, we originally planned to take like a month off and it just grew into three months, but that's okay. Um, well, would you like to know how I spent my Mojack vacation? Did you read the Phantoms book? No, 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 no. I, I need more than a three month block to do that. <laughs> I read two of, uh, Tim Satchwell's clash books, which are almost as thick. Hmm. Um, I did, and I did read a, a book that I'll mention in my spiels here. Hey, but before you hit your spiels, you want to know what one of my, uh, summer vacation highlights was? What's that? Hanging out with you, man. Yeah, that was good. That was awesome. Yeah. It was quick, but it happened. It was real. Yep. Well, yeah. Tell me how you spent your Mojack vacation. Uh, well, I binge watched Ted Lasso just like everyone else twice, actually. Whoa. Yep. I finally took your advice, Ryan, and watched all three seasons of Cobra Kai. Oh, that's so deadly. Yep. I watched uh, the Anthrax 40th anniversary live stream and their 40th anniversary YouTube series where all band members from all eras of the band get interviewed. They go through the, the band's entire history. It's great if you're an Anthrax fan. I got on a total Anthrax kick because I just, I love, oh, I've always loved them. I bought the Among the Living graphic novel that just came out. Is that Anthrax? Yeah, yeah. Okay, like it's an Anthrax graphic novel. Yeah. So obviously Scott Ian is still in the band and the lead singer, I presume, has remained constant. So have they just been switching out bass players, drummers and other guitarists? Nope. The core of the band that is pretty intact. It's uh, Charlie, the drummer, has been there from day one. Right. He's kind of he's actually like, you know, one of the creative forces in the band for sure. He he's plays guitar. He writes songs. He does a lot of the artwork. He's a visual artist as well. Uh, Frank Bello, the bass player, has been there technically not from day one, but, you know, he's been on every album, I think, for sure. Uh, they swap out the lead guitar player fairly often. Ah, uh, that's and, the one. And their, their singer from, like, the classic lineup, Joey Belladonna, has been back in the band for maybe 10 years. They had a different singer for a while. The John, yeah. the John Bush era of the band, which... Is that is that when they did, like, it was kind of new metal-ish? Is that when it was? I wouldn't call it new metal. They they did change their sound a little bit. It still sounds yeah. like Anthrax. It was more like, you know, the only metal band that really did well in the 90s was Pantera, or one of the mm. only metal bands. So a lot of, a lot of bands, you know, tried to switch to that more groove metal sound, I guess. Right. That's what I mean, though. Groove metal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely did that. But I, I'm a fan of that that stuff as well. John Bush is just an amazing, amazing singer. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can get down with some anthrax, but yeah. not much. Yeah. But not much. Just a little. Okay. Not not graphic novel anthrax, <laughs> but, but, you know, anyways. What else did you do? Well, I, 
I got one of those, you know, those uncut magazines where they profile a, an artist's entire career, those oh, really yeah. thick ones. I bought one of those on Neil Young and just went way, way deep into Neil. Like I'm a lifelong Neil Young fan, but I kind of go on these kicks and I, and I went on a Neil one. It happened to coincide with my wife buying me the reissue of the times time fades away record. Uh, so yeah, I went on a total Neil kick. Um, oh, your wife bought you that? Yeah. Wow, man. Nice wife. Yeah. She's a keeper. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I then went into a John Carpenter movie rabbit hole and watched a bunch of his films, uh, nice. probably nice. spurred on by his great new album, Lost Themes 3, Alive After Dark. Uh, also along with watching a bunch of his movies, I found this great podcast. So this is a podcast shout out for Precinct 13, the music and movies of John Carpenter with these two guys, Nick and Chris. It's really great. Hmm. Watched a few documentaries, Ryan. Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. Yeah, is that out yet? I've been trying to find it. Uh, maybe I don't have it on one of my services. Yeah, I, I watched it. It's pretty good. Uh, I'm not really a fan of any of the artists that played on it, but it's... No, no. It's an interesting documentary for sure. That's about it. That's how I spent my, my Mojack vacation. But I, I have one spiel, Ryan, to get us back like in the groove. Okay, do it. Okay, it's the first actual spiel of the season. Don't just think about it. Okay. Do it, man. We're headed into the comp zone. Well, that's really throaty version. Yeah. Secretions, 1988 oh, yeah. CZ Records. Love it. Yeah. Okay, Capping Day start things off with a killer track called Brian in the Dark Room. Super inter interesting band, two vocalists, Laura Weller, who also plays guitar, and Bonnie Hammond, who actually plays xylophone, which isn't super like overt, it's in the mix in a subtle way, gives this song an interesting vibe. Scott McCollum of Skinyard and Grunt Truck is on drums. They, as far as I can tell, never did a full length, just some singles, circa 88 to 93, one on Pop Llama. Definitely need to hear more. Kind of post-punk with a pop edge. Vexed, the great Seattle band with two killer albums of early arty post-punk on CZ. Pretty sure we've talked about them before. Yep. Crypt Kicker 5, short-lived surfy punk band featuring none other than Jack and Dino on drums. Yep. H Hour, this is pre-Tad, Tad Doyle on drums. Vocalist John Clint and bassist Darren Peters went on to form this wicked band called Willard that you should definitely check out if you have never heard their record, Steel Mill. Uh, this band, H-Hour, came to Seattle from Idaho. The music is killer post-punk with some serious slap bass. There's a five-song cassette floating around, too. Uh, too bad it's never gotten a proper release, though. Vertigo Bus. Couldn't really find out too much about them. It's kind of folky pop. Looks all like all they had was one cassette EP. Pure Joy. This is Rusty Willoughby, and it's super killer power pop. Rusty is probably better known for the band Flop, which is definitely mm -hmm. the band I know. This song is honestly so great. I dug into him a bit more. He's got a band camp with a bunch of solo records and also 
Pure Joy had some full-lengths, so I'm I'm digging into Rusty. I know you're a flop fan, Ryan. Do you know Pure Joy? No, I don't. I'm a flop fan. Not a deep flop fan, but now this is going to get me deep into the flop. Okay. And and some Pure Joy. Couch of Sound, Matt Cameron on drums and Chip Doring of Crypt Kicker 5 on guitar, but this is Amy Danio's band. She's on bass and vocals. She's also the songwriter. I know Amy from Tone Dogs, but she's a multi-instrumentalist that's played in tons of projects. She has a band camp also loaded with great stuff you should check out. This is kind of arty post-punk. CZ, one of their, you know, mainstay bands, Skin Yard. Daniel House of the band uh, took over and ran the, the label CZ in 1987. There's just so much great stuff on CZ. I was thinking, Ryan, maybe that's what we'll do next. After we do New Alliance, Cruise, Alternative Tentacles, then we'll do CZ? Sure. Done. Okay. Uh, this song, American Nightmare, really sounds like SWA, like a lot. Uh, so, I, And I'm going to put this on the SS tree because they had a bunch of records on Cruise. Skin Yard? Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on the tree. Weather Theater, another kind of lost Seattle band that you don't hear too much about because, you know, all you hear about is the pre-grunge bands and stuff. They're from more of the gothy, psychedelic, Echo and the Bunnymen side of things. Coffin Break, Just Say No to Religion. This is early pre-Epitaph Coffin Break. It's basically Mm -hmm. hardcore. Just okay for me. I don't love it like I do, say, Crawl or 13 era Coffin Break. All coffin break is good coffin break. Yeah. Color anxiety. The driving force here is Rob Angus. This is experimental noise funk. This just seems like a one-off or a really short-lived project. Much of the stuff on this comp is like that. Like this is not a CZ sampler or anything of that nature. It's more of an obscurity comp. And then we end with Fred, who is Fred Chancellor. Uh... The song is The Pony Song, which I think is probably a cover. It's not great. Fred was in the group Three Swimmers, who I know we for sure talked about back on our Steve Fisk episode. Uh, He was also in the Tone Dogs and some other bands, but this song's a bit of a throwaway. But yeah, Secretions. People should check it out. Definitely, yeah. Ryan, what do you have? Okay, so I took lots of notes while we were on break. Okay. And I I have like a list of stuff. I labeled it in case you missed it, kind of as a a roundup of what has happened over the last three months. I'm not doing that. Those will those will come over the the next few weeks. I now want to do something uh, completely different. I I had some inspirato over the last day. So here's my spiel. But before I spiel, Brent, what do you never do before the meal? Well, you always eat the meal before the spiel. I thought you never spiel before the meal. I don't. I think you. What do we do? I don't know. Is it meal first or spiel first? I don't know. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you never spiel before the meal. But this, my friend, is a spiel full of meals. It's called one spiel, many meals. Are you ready? I'm I'm ready, I think. Okay, and, and this spiel, we're going to Athens, Georgia. Okay. Now, you might have been hoping as well, after three months off, for another obscure Canadian instro math rock spiel from me. But no, Athens, Georgia. So, you know, I was reading this book this summer, Cool Town, 
how Athens, Georgia launched alternative music and changed American culture. It's a cool book by Grace Elizabeth Hale. She was a musician, ran a club and restaurant in Athens, and is now a professor of history at the University of Virginia. So it's got a bit of an academic slant, I would say, for kind of a scene book. Yeah, I've heard that about it. Yeah, it's good, though. It's not at all like uh, this book I'm reading now, the Chris France book, Remain in Love, you know, the drummer from Talking Heads. Yeah. That is a hoot, and it's much lighter reading. And in fact, if you're a Talking Heads fan, you would, of course, love that book. But if you're a Ramones fan, you would love that book. The really? story, Yeah, the stories about Talking Heads touring in Europe with the Ramones from Chris Franz's perspective are hilarious. Anyways, Athens, Georgia. So we're talking the B-52s, Pylon, R.E.M., Vic Chestnut, right? It, this book really talks about how after the B-52s conquered New York, and then followed by Pylon and R.E.M. kind of getting some underground notoriety, Athens became like the scene, the place to go, kind of before Seattle became the place to go in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. That was all very interesting, but my main interest was actually a band called The Barbecue Killers. You know this band? Uh, just from you talking about them when we saw each other. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know. See, I didn't know then that I was going to do this, but it, it all just kind of came together. Barbecue Killers formed in 1984, Athens, Georgia. They have one album called Comely, um, 1987 on Twilight Fundamental Records. There's David Judd on bass, Arthur Johnson on drums. He went on to be in a matador band called Come, C-O-M-E, mm -hmm. uh, Claire Horn on guitar, um, but the highlight, kind of the, the the main draw for the Barbecue Killers is uh, the vocalist and guitarist Laura Carter. Barbecue Killers, angular, noisy, post-punk. Laura's vocals are insane. Kind of a precursor to L7, Seven Year Bitch, maybe. Um, she also really pushed the envelope when it came to gender, sexuality, very confrontational and challenging stage presence. Also very freeing. As a result, Grace really talks about how Laura, as I said, kind of challenging, but also kind of created some freedoms for people in that in that artistic community. And I thought that was very cool. The book also talks about this great comp that the barbecue killers are on. So we're going to head back into a particular zone. Are we out of it? Well, we're out of it when you're done talking about it. <laughs> Bring me back. Comp zone. Perfect. So... <laughs> The comp is called Some, S-O-M-E, on DRG Records, 1986, four bands, one song each. In the book, Cool Town, Grace describes how this comp came to be. And it's obviously a handmade, silkscreen, stamps type of, uh, you know, white jacket, gluing um, some art on it, totally DIY. In addition to Barbecue Killers, there's a band called Time Toy, another band called Eat America, these bands, you know, they didn't really become very well known. And obviously lots of the members were in a bunch of other bands. Probably the most well known on this comp, other than Barbecue Killers, is a band called Mercyland. They have their great uh, record called No Feet on the Cowling. Now, the reason that people know Mercyland, most of all, I think, is because David Barb, he's a well-known recording engineer from Athens, but he is also the bass player in Sugar, Bob Mould's band. So... Now, to further describe, though, what I like about Barbecue Killers, 
Laura Carter's bands are sometimes described as like Jesus Lizard with female vocals. Now, they're not, but I get what they're what they're going after. Her next band, though, and this would have been probably the band I was talking about uh, when we saw each other this summer. Her next band, I can really see why people make that uh, reference to Jesus Lizard. They're called the Jackanuts or Jackanuts, I guess. Their record on you, 1994 on uh, Matador Radial Records, engineered by Steve Albini. So it kind of has that sound, but it really sounds good. The guitarist, Brooks Carter, really cool guitar, maybe some Dwayne Dennison-isms, maybe. Um, Laura's vocals are, again, just killer. Robert McKnight on drums. Almost a highlight, though, for me on this record, though, is the bass player, Jeff Matthews. Insane bass playing. I love it. And he was also in another... Uh, Athens band called Daisy. They have a great CD called The Hum of D-A-I-S-Y, The Hum of Daisy on Planned Obsolescence Records. Great, noisy, alt-punk, maybe grunge, maybe. Mm. Um, Jackanuts are also on another great Athens comp that I wanted to talk about. So we're going to go deeper into the comp zone. Exactly. This one is called Fuel. Seven Bands from Athens, Georgia. Self-Rising Records, 1992. A great, great scene comp from back then. Um, It has this band Hayride on it. Two grungy tracks. Uh, They had two CDs in the early 90s. A band called Roosevelt. That is a band that you need to check out, Brant. Kind of like a cross between the Satan Natras, if you know that reference. I do. The Meat Puppets and No Means No. Oh, Roosevelt. You should really check that out. I will. Um, great tracks on this comp from them. Another band, Thorny Hold, shredding No Means No-esque type tunes. Again, seemed kind of like a one-off band. I couldn't find out much about them. Another great Athens band, 5-8 is on here. A very prolific band that actually moved to Athens from New York. Kind of like how when Athens became a scene, bands would move there. Just like Flat Duo Jets moved to Athens as well. 5-8 has like 10 full lengths, uh, influenced by Husker Du, their main singer-songwriter guy, Mike. He's like, I would say, the main songwriter, but it's a it's a pretty solid band. Um, they would totally fit on a bill with Husker, REM, replacements, that type of thing in the late 80s, early 90s. Still kind of going, it looks like. Um, but great singer-songwriter alt tunes. Like I, I've read about them. They don't actually get much of a mention in the Cool Town book, but after listening to this comp, I'm like, okay, I got to do a bit of a 5-8 deep dive. Another band, Bliss, is on here, which has Andy Baker from Servatron. Kind of got a DC vibe, noise rock sound, very cool. Jackanuts, of course, are on here. And then uh, closing out the comp is this band called Magneto, kind of an alternative grunge band. And, and just like all of these bands, all, the members of Magneto were in tons of other Athens bands. So anyways, I'm just digging deep and deep into Athens here. And in this spiel meal, I want us to get even more Athens, Georgia. Now, of course, you need to see the Athens documentary, Athens GA, Inside Out. You can get uh, the soundtrack for that and the DVD on a great set together now, which is great. So... Another comp zone shout out here, the Athens GA comp. It has flat duo jets, pylon, barbecue killers, and REM on it. Now, speaking of REM, my second to last meal 
of this spiel. A record that came out this summer, at least that I got, that I've been digging real hard, is the new split single record, Amplificado. New record by Jason Narducci from the Bob Mould Band, right? Yep. Uh, Dale Nixon on drums and on bass, Mike Mills from R.E.M. Who's on drums? Dale Nixon on okay. drums. Yep, yep. Um, Mike Mills from R.E.M. I have to say, I like R.E.M. okay. Their first um, round of records, kind of up until that Out of Time record, I like some tracks on them. I've never been a huge fan but Mike Mills' bass playing on this split single record really impressed me. I, I don't know what it is. It's just great lines, great melody, holding down the bottom end. It's just awesome. I'm going to actually go back and revisit some of those early REM records um, because I don't think I really paid attention to Mike's playing, and I'm just digging it. It's a great record, but Mike's bass playing really stood out for me. Um, that Out of Time record, of course, though, has one of the worst songs of all time objectively speaking uh, shiny happy people which has kate pearson from the b-52s on it but my final meal of this spiel i have a quiz for you brent okay so shiny happy people objectively bad song kate pearson from b-52s guest vocals on it what great song does kate pearson do guest vocals on hmm. is it a, another rem song no I feel like I know, but it's not coming. It's not coming to mind. Give up? I give up. Candy by Iggy Pop. Oh. Right? on Off of Brick by Brick. Yep. Great track. Great yeah. track. There's some other good stuff on there. Slash plays on that record. Oh, yeah. Pretty See? sure Steve Jones is on it. Yeah, that's a great record. Yep. Anyways, Athens, Georgia. That, my friend, is why you never spiel before the meal, or you never have a meal before the spiel, whichever way it goes. But you can have a spiel made of many meals when you're in Athens, GA. Bingo. There you go. Now, I've got, like I said, a bunch of lists in case you missed it. I even have a Brant's Rant edition. Okay. Ryan version of a Brant's Rant. But we got to get into this uh, Sonic Youth record. Thought that was good enough. Yeah. What do you think? That's probably good. You know, we got to ease people back into this, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do some Sonic Death. History lesson, part one. All right, so Sonic Youth. More of a Brandt band than a Ryan band, but I definitely like my Sonic Youth, don't get me wrong. I believe this is our seventh Sonic Youth release. We did um, episode 59 was Evol. Episode 80 was Star Power with Michael Whitaker. 96 was Confusion is Sex. 97, the self-titled. 134 was Sister with Steve Shelley. Awesome episode. Yeah. 155 Master Dick with Wharton Tears, which I think might be the episode where we tore a release, the biggest one of all time. <laughs> I don't know, man. October Faction didn't get a lot of love. Oh, yeah. You're probably right there. Um, and then, as always, when uh, we're dealing with some Sonic Youth here, it's always good to remind folks of all the great resources that you can check out. There's uh, a number of books that we... Uh, that we reference for Sonic Youth and, and other bands when we're going um, through some of the releases where they have some overlap with Sonic Youth, like Goodbye 20th Century by David Brown, Girl in a Band, Kim Gordon's awesome book, Psychic Confusion by Stevie Chick, Confusion is Next by Alec Fogue, 
Our Band Could Be Your Life, the Michael Azarad book. There's there's others out there. Now, this album, or as it says on the jacket, is early Sonic, 81 to 83. So it's Lee, Thurston, Kim, but with, I think, the three drummers, Richard, Bob, and Jim. It's a weird record. I will come right out front and say, like, you're not going to hear me saying, like, wow, this is in my top, not even in my top 20 Sonic Youth <laughs> records for sure. Yeah. But but I'm uh, I'm open to having you change my mind on that, Brent. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, but I will say, like, if you've ever been on the website sonicyouth.com, it, it is one of the most exhaustive and and complete websites on the web and i got a i got some stuff from the website for this episode yeah it, it i don't know who does this site i wish i knew their name so i could give them a shout out but like it's it's incredible and it's still you know updated too there's always news on what the individual members are doing and on sonic youth you know because yeah. they, they still release live you know, stuff from the archives and stuff like that. Um, and the person who designed that website and I guess what's the word moderates it or is in charge of the website puts content on it. They webmaster, the webmaster, sure. Webmaster. Yeah. They, they declare this one of their favorite Sonic youth records. Yeah. I found that page too. And I read through it, the, the endless detail on the tracks breaking it down on all the photos too. I read through it all and in detail and I had the same thought. Like, I wish we could give that person a shout out because I will tell you like, not my favorite listen, but a much more enjoyable listen, having that resource to go through as I listen to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a little spiel from the website actually that kind of tells people who haven't heard this, what it is. The album contains live recordings circa 81 to 83. Many of the tracks on the album are only fragments, often with no breaks between them. Most of the material is off of their 82 debut, uh, which we discussed on episode 97, and 1983's Confusion is Sex, which we talked about on episode 96, and also from 83's Kill Your Idols EP. So possibly some snippets of songs we haven't had on the podcast before, but there's only a few complete songs on the, on the, especially on side two. A lot of it is just quick one minute snippets of, you know, all kinds of different things. Yeah. I, some of the descriptions when I was looking up this release, they kind of characterized it as audio fragments or audio collage, and that's totally fitting. Yeah. So this is another one of the SST re-releases. It was originally on Thurston's Ecstatic Peace label. Thurston started the label in 81. He released stuff periodically on the label, and we've seen one of them before, SST 40, the Dos Domin self-titled EP, mm -hmm. which was originally Ecstatic Peace 4. Uh, he reactivated the label in the late 90s, and in 2006, he signed a deal with Universal to distribute the label. Lots of great stuff to dive into on Ecstatic Peace, including stuff on the tree like DOS, Lucky Sperms, Dim Stars, and a bunch of Sonic Youth stuff. This was originally a cassette-only release on Ecstatic Peace, 
the second one on the label in 1984. It was reissued in 1988 by SST, Ecstatic Peace, in the US, and Blast First, Ecstatic Peace, in the UK. Both labels issued it on cassette and CD. Yeah, mine is a Blast First version, I think, because it says BFFP, Blast First, Ecstatic Peace. There's no SST on it anywhere. Yeah, you mentioned the three drummers, Ryan. Yep. Richard Edson, Jim Sklavunas, and Bob Burt. This would mostly be Richard and Bob. Jim only played a couple shows with the band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't even know if he's even on this record at all. There's no individual credits, obviously, so a lot of it's just guesswork. Uh, as far as timelines go, when this was originally released in December of 84, they would have been preparing to release Bad Moon Rising, which was uh, recorded September, October of 84, came out March of 85. So by the time of the 88 reissue on SST and Blast First, the flavor was definitely out of the gum, as they say, with SST and Sonic Youth. In Stevie Chick's Psychic Confusion book, he says... Although signing to SST was a hardcore dream come true for Thurston, the group's experience on the label proved frustrating. Sonic Youth's records remained hampered by SST's limited distribution. As many SST bands discovered, the label might book you to play a town where none of your vinyl could be found. Mm -hmm. Here's Thurston. We really became part of the family, but it started getting destroyed from within. There was a lot of personal conflict, political conflict. SST changed when Black Flag stopped touring and Greg got more involved with the day-to-day -day business. Here's Paul Smith, the founder of Black, uh, Blast First in that same book. Thurston was in seventh heaven that these people were putting out his records. No one seemed to have worked out that the Black Flag guys really wanted SST to be about their band. Didn't want any bands who were bigger or more popular or more influential than Black Flag. The youth only just scraped onto the label. Chuck Dukowski certainly wasn't a big Sonic Youth supporter. But the Sonics really wanted to be on SST, and those guys saw it as an opportunity to make a bit of money. I always felt sorry for them, for Thurston, because it was a kid's dream that was destroyed by people who should know better. And then here's Alec Fogue from Confusion is Next. By 1988, SST was being run primarily by Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski. Joe Carducci and Mugger had jumped ship by then. Around that time, allegations began to circulate that the members of Black Flag weren't interested in any SST band becoming more popular than they were, that every day at the office included a 4 o'clock weed break. Regardless of whether these rumors were true, more than a couple SST acts were finding it increasingly difficult to get paid. Here's David Brown in Goodbye 20th Century. Lee, after Sister, we felt like we'd made this really great record and we'd be touring here and Europe and find out that nobody could get it. We were really disappointed. David Brown says, Part of SST's trouble lay with the deluge of product the owner Greg Ginn was dropping on the public. By then, the label was releasing 80 or 90 albums a year, many indulgent and undistinguished and diluting the high standards the label had set for itself years before. Now, obviously, you and I disagree with, with that, but that is a popular narrative. Yeah, well, there's a few 
points made in those comments. Like they're not wrong, but I think they are exaggerations. You know, they didn't put out that many records. They weren't all bad. They weren't all vanity projects. Um, the thing that's interesting, though, that I, I don't know whether we've talked about it before. Or maybe it just never sunk in is the concept that Greg and Chuck were intentionally trying to prevent other bands from being more popular than Black Flag. Like, I don't know. That seems like an exact like, again, that might not be wrong. But intentionally trying to prevent bands from doing well on the label and selling records and making money, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, no. I mean, Black Flag wasn't even an active band at this point. That, exactly, exactly. I just, to me, sounds like something frustrated musicians are, are saying. Yes. And, and look, I'm not saying that they are without criticism, but I just don't know if that's exactly what was their MO. I doubt it. Yeah. A bit of a tie-in with the episode title, Ryan, is the title of the zine the band yes. had during the Goo <laughs> era, which was called I, Sonic Death. I saw this too. Go for it. Yeah, they did seven issues that went into 93, 94, kind of up into the washing machine era. Uh, it's got Thurston reviewing records, interviews, one with Watt or a couple with Watt, catalogs where you could order merch like live CDs and stuff like the Goo demos, VHS tapes. One with their performance at the Gila Monster Jamboree. Uh, also, as Stevie Chick describes in his book, he says, Years later, the first issue of their self-produced fan club zine Sonic Death reprinted a letter from the Sonic's law firm to SST, terminating their contract due to consistent failure to pay Sonic Youth. Demand for such payment has been made repeatedly over the past several years by the group and their accountants. Yeah, I read as well. Uh, I don't know if it was due to <laughs> Thurston putting it in the zine. I doubt it. But um, around that legal dispute, uh, apparently Sonic Youth got the tapes back to partially compensate for unpaid royalties from SST, which makes sense. Yeah. Here's what uh, David Brown says in Goodbye 20th Century about that. When SST still hadn't forked over its unpaid royalties to the band by 1991, Richard Grable, Sonic Youth's lawyer, began sending threatening letters to the label. As a way to lessen some of the debt, SST agreed to return the rights to the recordings to the band and Geffen, paving the way for the Geffen reissues. Since Josh Bear at Neutral had sold the rights to the first two records to SST for $9,000 when Neutral folded, the arrangement meant Geffen owned the Sonic Youth EP and Confusion is Sex as well. So uh, the uh, sonicyouth.com site has those zines up on the site, so we're going to post some of them the week this episode airs. Right on. Yeah. Here's what uh, they say on, that, on the sonicyouth.com site. Sonic Death is a vastly underrated audio collage recorded live between 1981 and 83. It was originally a cassette release compiled by Thurston on his own label, Ecstatic Peace. There was no track listing, just side one and side two. When SST and Blast first simultaneously reissued Sonic Death in 1988 on cassette and CD, no attempt was made to isolate the tracks. The CD just separated side one and side two onto two tracks. I'm not sure whether to classify Sonic Death as an album per se, but it's without a doubt 
an indispensable recording and a perfect snapshot of the first three years of Sonic Youth's musical output. Perfect snapshot, hey? Hmm. Yeah, I read that too, and I'm like, eh, not for me. You know, my CD version is just one track. Oh, it's really? Not even, it's not even split into two. Yeah, the Blast first one anyways. One track. It's like 50-some minutes. Wow. You know, the band reissued a lot of this early stuff way later in the 2000s on their label Goofin. Uh, including they even reissued Master Dick. <laughs> like the debut, Confusion is Next. This has never been reissued, not by Geffen, not on Goofin, nothing. Yeah, apparently Master Dick is better than this. <laughs> so now we're going to attempt to go through both sides. Uh, and the, this, the website has a nice breakdown of what we're hearing. It's interesting this is almost like its own album as opposed to a live album in the classic sense because of the fact that its snippets of songs are often in instrumental improvised sections of songs. Mm -hmm. There's tape manipulation going on at times. There are just a few full versions of songs, which we'll mention. This is not available on iTunes or streaming services. It's not even up on the band's band camp, which again, master Dick is even up there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did check the the entire album is up on YouTube, so if you don't own it, maybe listen along there, or listen to it and go th go to SonicYouth.com and and read uh, read their kind of breakdown of the tracks. But some of some of what I have in my track by track breakdown uh, is from that website. Oh yeah, I would. I, I'm gonna let you drive the bus here, but I would. Because you can actually probably recognize some of these snippets better than I could due to your more being more familiar with the band. But like I just I followed along with the Sonic Death uh, website right up like line by line, basically. So, OK, well, let's do the tracks. History lesson part two. Side one, Ryan, is 38 minutes, 22 seconds long. Mm -hmm. And a few of these were updated uh on the website following the 2006 reissue of the self-titled debut because uh, that's just an EP and they tracked, tacked on some live stuff and listed the source, you know, the, the recording date. So that's where we know where some of these tracks were recorded. So the first track is September 18th, 1981. So this would have been Richard Edson on drums. It fades in on an extended version of the good and the bad a track off their first EP, and you can hear Lee doing some spoken word over top, which he doesn't do on the studio version. Shadows, Morning Sun, Blades of Grass, etc. Then we go into an early version of She Is Not Alone, uh, which you can hear Thurston sing at the end. From the same show, in September of 81, starts with a guitar being tuned down to slack, and the drums kick in, the guitars kind of go back and forth with almost like a revving sound. And But they're both tuned down so low that it gives, it gives it a pretty cool sound. It's that rattling string sound. Yeah. And then we have another version of She Is Not Alone, which is more like the one that we know off the first EP. The date mm -hmm. is unknown, so we're not sure if it's Richard Edson or... It's likely not Jim, but it could be Richard or Bob on drums. Very cool rhythmic drum groove, which makes me think that it's Richard Edson. If you, when we get to the photos, you'll see how many uh, roto toms he had. Oh yeah, yeah, he rocks the rotos. 
Very cool rhythmic drum groove. Interesting that they put these two versions of this song back to back. Like an early version and then the more realized version. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you think Thurston made this originally though? Like, don't you think it was just like with a, with a double cassette deck? Oh yeah, that's ex- totally, sure. totally how we did it. For sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, when I was young in the eighties, I remixed stuff tape to tape. I did remixes before I even knew what remixes were. And you can hear that on some of this stuff where there's, uh, like a looping type of effect. Yeah. It's totally just him dubbing one tape to another. Speed up, slow down. He's got, he's got a a higher end, maybe double cassette. Maybe it's, maybe it's off of a four track onto a single cassette where he's been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as soon as Thurston sings the song title, she is not alone. It cuts out and it totally shifts gears. Uh, I thought the sonicyouth.com description of this next song was was spot on. This track is another unknown, sounding something like a chaotic polka, opening with what's either very precise picking or an echo pedal. One guitar just blares forth staccato sirens of sound. Accelerated drums kick in, and a deep throttling bass line provides the rhythm for the piece. This sounds more like the material performed by the early Sonic Youth lineup at the Noise Fest 81. Hmm. that's one minute 52 seconds then we get another version of the good and the bad not a complete version instead of fading in this one just comes in abruptly thurston's on bass here they just keep going up a step on the guitars and you know the drummer just whoever's playing drums just pounds away and you can faintly hear lee again that's four minutes 37 seconds then we have The World Looks Red from the first EP, but the tape is sped up. It's 2 minutes, 13 seconds. One of the songs to appear in full on Sonic Death. It ends with some sped up applause, and we're at the halfway mark mark for side one. Then we're going back to that September 81 gig. There's a short one-minute segment taken out of the breakdown section of the Burning Spear with this kind of repetitive, jarring riff. Then we have another complete song. It's uh, confusion is uh, confusion is next. Three minutes twenty seconds. Almost starts like I said with like a tape loop sound, but it's more likely just a tape to tape editing. Yep. Yep. Then SonicYouth.com calls the next snippet an evolu- evolutionary glance at Inhuman, which is a track off 83's Confusion is Sex. One minute, 29 seconds, Lee strumming sounds like, it sounds like above the nut, but you know, you never, you never know with Sonic Youth, it could be some drumstick action or some screwdriver action. So, so the guy on this website, he keeps on referencing the zither, Lee, Lee strumming the zither, and there are photos of it as well inside the jacket. So that might, like, I know what sound you're, you're thinking of and you can get it above the nut on your guitar and also on a zither which this uh the author of this description references often yeah the zither is like a it's almost like a like a harpsichord or something like you play it on a tabletop or i think lee often just played it on the floor of the stage or on top of an amp and it's multiple strings yeah you know um 
probably like the most famous thing that you've ever seen where there's something that looks like this is that love and spoonful if you believe in magic and the guy is strumming that auto harp <laughs> it's like one of those but lee plays it like on the floor heavily modified i'm sure oh yeah uh, Thurston sounds like he's screaming, you know, with the entire mic shoved into his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, presumably from an unknown French radio broadcast in 83. Sounds like someone's slowly plucking out the I, I want to be your dog riff while someone's tuning in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some more of the drumstick jammed in the strings behind the nut strumming sound, maybe the zither. Uh, while someone's doing some short bursts of pick slides. Uh, we've got some more chiming noises. What they describe on the website is eerie flute-style hums. Hmm. 51 second snippet of Shaking Hell off of Confusion is Sex. So the first time we hear Kim on this record. An introduction of the, of the band En Francais, including Bob Burt gets mentioned, so we know it's from 83. They go into a full version of Burning Spear, which was one of my favorite things so far that we've heard. Very post-punk vibe, almost a pill sound. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as you get to a full version of the song and there's some actual rhythm, then yeah, that would be my favorite so far. <laughs> the lyrics mention the song title. I, f I feel your soul and I can't wait to meet my fate with the Burning Spear and the baby's breath because the cross on my back is sonic death. Ooh. And then we close outside one with four minutes, 51 seconds of what sounds like a noise jam based around the, I want to be your dog riff. Mm -hmm. Side two, 20 mi 29 minutes, 31 seconds. We have a 40 second snippet of van chatter and SonicYouth.com does some great investigative speculation on, uh, who these people are uh it's they think it's during the savage blunder tour with swans where i believe they all toured in one van you can hear kim thurston lee someone named john likely jonathan kane of swans bob gets mentioned likely bob pesda from the swans this side of the record ryan has a lot more short snippets we've got 34 seconds of noise panning right to left a 16-second excerpt, possibly from Shaking Hell. An 18-second excerpt from Brother James off of Kill Your Idols. Then we go into a 7-minute version uh, of the song Early American, another track off of Kill Your Idols. Kill Your Idols was a 1983 EP originally released only in Germany by the label mm -hmm. Zenser. Four of... Four of the five songs off that EP were eventually tacked onto the DGC reissue of Confusion is Sex. It's really too bad SST didn't acquire the rights to that EP because they for sure would have re-released it, uh, and it's pretty great. I bet they tried to buy it for sure. So Early American is kind of the uh, chiming guitars thing that they do with Kim singing in like a really abstract way over top. You can hear the scream tape, which I think we talked about possibly on episode 59, Evil. They also used it on that on a track off that record called Marilyn Monroe. It's a collection of screams Thurston and Lee recorded in a grain silo in Europe. Uh, they used to play it through an amp on stage 
uh, while segueing from early American into Burning Spear, uh, which was a staple of the 83 tour in Europe. So that's where this is likely from. Uh, they do go into the Burning Spear here very briefly for a minute. Uh, then we have a full-length 2 minute 51 second version of Kill Your Idols. Again, the lyrics, Kill Your Idols, Sonic Death, It's the End of the World, Your Confusion is Sex. Uh, a minute and a half of what sounds like the end of the song Confusion is next. 37 seconds of a droning chord, Thurston announcing We Want Electricity. Uh, another unknown song segment sounds like the guitar is going through some sort of effects pedal, but I couldn't place it. Someone scraping their pick up and down the strings. Some bells ringing. Almost sounds like maybe something we heard on Lee's From Here to Infinity record. Those bells. Uh, another snippet of Kill Your Idols. A minute 40 seconds of The World Looks Red, which Thurston announces. The song fades out as soon as it kicks in. Uh, Lee says, the next song's called Shaking Hell. And then Thurston says, suck my dick, asshole. And Lee says, that's an American expression, suck my dick. <laughs> uh, it's 1 minute 35 seconds. The song is cut off just as, as soon as it gets going. Thurston slamming some open bass notes while a crowd eggs him on. And the opening riff to Making the Nature Scene off of Confusion is next. And then it cuts out. 54 seconds of some more chiming guitars. A short snippet of I Don't Want to Push It from the first EP. 51 seconds of the coda from the track She's in a Bad Mood, which was our ballot result pick, Ryan, on episode 96. Ah. Some more panned noise. Another unknown track more almost slack tune guitars some white noise and then it ends with Thurston addressing the crowd after the November 15th 1982 Raleigh North Carolina show on the Savage Blunder tour uh, the track I Want to Be Your Dog on Confusion is Sex was t also taken from this show he says stuff like buy records from Sonic Youth or Swans they're at the door they're really cheap the crowd is calling for an encore, and the album ends with Thurston saying, we could have a Sonic Youth and Swans Jam Fest. And that's it. Another cool thing about this, though, is the the photos, Ryan. It's a two-sided, eight-panel series, one side color and the other black and white. Yep. It's cool. Am I giving away too much if i say it's my favorite part of this release is the, <laughs> is the photo collage no i kind of thought you would say that this is not like something for casual sonic youth fans for sure no and i uh, i'm not i'm probably high casual yeah that's fair the cover photo ryan is an old army photograph of thurston's brother gene yep says Sonic Death, Sonic Youth Live, Early Sonic, all with lots of, you know, folding, cut and paste style, visible scotch tape, Xeroxed. The back cover is a live photo of Lee and Thurston. Not sure uh, what Thurston is holding, but it's not a guitar. It's got the Ecstatic Peace logo underneath the SST logo. So how do you want to walk through these panels? Again, the 
the the sonicyouth.com website does a really good job yeah kind of walking through it um but i but it's not easy to follow along <laughs> no it's not uh well let's do the color side first and i pulled some stuff from there too okay we've got and this might be out of order here because you have the blast first version so uh kim we've got kim playing a six string uh, with what looks like Richard Edson's Rototom heavy kit behind her. Yep. Thurston's got a pick in his mouth, a drumstick in his hand. Lee with a telly with F-holes cut in it. Yeah, F-hole tellies. Screwdriver jammed in the neck. We've got a cutout circular photo of Richard Edson. In that uh, picture with Lee with the telly and the F-holes, apparently that's Jim Sclavunas on drums, who only played two shows with the band. Yeah. Below that, Thurston's playing guitar with Michael Giraud of Swans playing bass. Got a blurry pick of Kim playing bass at a show in France in 83. And the photo credits also listed. Doesn't Kim look so badass with those big glasses? Oh yeah. So badass. We've got the panel with the four headshots. You got Lee taking his own photo with a with a camera. Selfie. Yep. Kim's hacking a dart. <laughs> <laughs> you got yep. Thurston sitting in a kick-ass wicker chair. Oh yeah. Bob Burt reading Helter Skelter, which fits in with the the band's Manson fixation during that era. And with SST and Pettibone. Yep. We've got a blurry pick that looks like it's taken from a TV screen. Below that, Thurston's playing bass with an unknown drummer. Next to that, we don't know who they are, but SonicYouth.com thinks one of them is turntablist Christian Markley, who we've talked a bit about on the podcast, played with Elliot Sharp and others. Yep. The Bob Burt era of the band in front of possibly the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it might be. Looks a lot like it. We got a rail-thin picture of Thurston, Lee down on the floor playing his zither, Kim playing some sort of Jaguar-esque bass, Thurston holding a water doing his best Dick Hell impression. <laughs> <laughs> right with the gla with the shades hey remember dick hell remember uh the band under a tent thurston uh he's doesn't have any guitar he's down on his knees looks like the same gig as the earlier shot black and white stuff we've got the one picture on the back of the cover you've got lee playing that modified zither that he used on the track inhuman and which is now apparently on display uh, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, pasted in the corner is a picture of Confusion-era drummer Jim Sclavunas. You've got Kim holding a guitar and singing, maybe Shaking Hell. Thurston playing the famous Drifter guitar. You can tell because the threats are torn out. He played it during this era as a six-string with uh, a cowbell during She's in a Bad Mood, which is... Likely what he's doing here, because he does have a cowbell in his hand. Later, they strung it with bass strings, and he played played it on record and live for the Daydream Nation track, Eric's Trip. Uh, but the Drifter was stolen in California in 1999 and never mm -hmm. recovered. Bunch of scumbags. Yep. Michael, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that? What are you gonna do? I don't know. Scumbags. Yeah. Michael Drove Swans. Maybe backstage playing guitar. Thurston on a couch smoking and not too 
who sh- not too sure who that is beside him, uh, but they're rolling something to smoke. Thurston looks like 10 years old in these pictures, hey? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Before he started growing his hair out. Yeah. Looks like he just came back from camp and he's like, you know, <laughs> from summer vacation, kind of like us. You got Richard Edson where he's really glowering at the camera. Uh, above that, a Bob Burt era uh, band photo. Not sure who that is under the upside down stop sign. Maybe like a crash pad on tour or something. You got Kim, Bob, and Thurston and two unknowns kind of sitting on the banks of a river somewhere. Mm-hmm. Thurston with the drifter again, doing the cowbell thing. Love Kim's necklace. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Are those nail? Are those nails or something? Looks, yeah, they look like... Sp- spikes or something, right? Yeah. Here's a review from this year, Ryan. I found on a site... Uh, for KCSB, a Santa Barbara independent radio station. There's a blog on there called Tape Quarantine, where music director Maddie McPherson is going through their tape collection while under quarantine. (laughs) Good project. Yeah. Sonic Death is a presentation of the band at its most primordial as they navigate the no-wave scene of the 80s. It has a dreamlike quality, in between more yelling at an audience where you might learn the song, what song is next? The tape embraces ambient punk dirges and pre-tuning breaks that act like deep listening spaces. When spliced together, it collapses all sense of time on the tape, rendering the tracks total spatial pervasiveness, effectively a full 68-minute dosage of urban psychedelia to lose yourself in. But you can't tap your toe to it. No, it's not a toe tapper. Not at all. Hey, before we go to ballot result, I uh, I did some digging on these folks who've got photo creds. You want to hear some of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so on the color side of the insert, at least on my version, Blast First, in the way, way bottom left hand, scrawled in someone's handwriting, it gives some uh, Sonic Death Picks, P-I-X, credits. First one is to... I'm going to butcher all these names for sure. Uh, Catherine Bachman Carousel. Catherine also gets credit on Confusion and Confusionist Sex and Kill Your Idols in one way or the other. I'm not exactly sure why or how. Another person is Victor Poison Tet. That person, Victor, was in the band Rat at Rat R brand, that, that uh, New York No Wave band. Amanda Lynn gets some credits for this inlay. Amanda had some photos in the Bad Moon Rising release. Roly Massamon. Roly is a drummer and producer originally from Switzerland, but now in New York and was a member of Swans starting in May of 83. He also, um, some of his best known productions would be uh, for the bands The The, and New Order. Uh, Lee gets a credit, probably Lee Ronaldo, of course. Maybe it's just the selfie. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the only one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and Marty Wilkerson, uh, listed on Discogs as a photographer who has taken photos for some of the bands that uh, you and I know. One that jumped out at me was for the Fuzz Tones record Live in Europe. So there's some photo credits. Um, 
obviously probably like friends of the band. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay, ballot result. Ballot result. So how do we do ballot result for this? Well, this is a compilation tape, so we're just going to pull out a snippet and put it on our tape. Oh, can it be the the van chatter about McDonald's and sure. Reagan? It could be anything you want. <laughs> this is the first track on our on our new comp tape, right? Is it? Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay actually. This will yep. this will confuse people. Yeah. When they put it on they'll be like, "What? What?" And then the next track by Everett Shock is just going to shock people. It's going to Everett shock <laughs> them and sink the hook in. Yeah. Well, you should pick. You should pick because I mean, you know this stuff. You know it better than me. And and I had honestly it was um I listened to this. I listened to it a few times start to finish, but it felt more like work than really just love and music. Yeah. I've had this forever and it's not something I ever listened to, but uh I like the early version of She Is Not Alone off side one. Uh I like the full versions of Confusion is next, Burning Spear, and I really like the the kind of medley of early American scream tape Burning Spear snippet. Pick. You don't pick have away my, you don't have pick any, away my friend. Okay. Uh I'm I'm completely indifferent. Okay. We'll just do the Burning Spear. Okay. Hey, um I should have hit you with a spaceman spiel for this record too. Definitely. Before we got before we got too far along. Hang on here. From the SST catalog, the spaceman said about this release. Sonically speaking, it's as if your brain were a piece of sheet metal and millions of flaming ball bearings were raining down on it. Sonic life, sonic death, from the very earliest stages of sonic existence. Minutes of music that go on for days. Sonic death is life. Primitive rumblings of the Chaconi mind. SST 181. Cassette, $7.50. CD, 13 bucks. Yowza. Whoa. And that's in U.S. currency. Yeah. Whoa. Woo. Well, that's it. Welcome back. We did it. Yeah. Now what? Well, it, you tell me. What's next week? Next week, Brant, it's SST 182, the Everett Shock Ghost Boys record. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, Everett Shock's on the show. Can't wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.